0: Good morning. Our Bible reading this morning is from Samuel, chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. Samuel, chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. And it's entitled, Samuel Anoints David. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived in Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before me, before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called for Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, "The Lord has not chosen this one either." Jesse then sent Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, "Nor has the Lord chosen this one." Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Remah.
1: Thank you, Rhonda. Well, this week and next week, I'm just going to, I guess, do two rather random sermons. <laughs> and, then, um, and then from the 30th, uh, we're going to have, well, the plan is to have four weeks uh, looking at prayer. I think we would do well to consider and reflect and, and, and just start this year uh, deepening in prayer. That's, uh, that's what I would love to see. And then, uh, and then after that, I will let you know. <laughs> Uh, planning hasn't been the easiest thing with COVID all over the place so we are we are going to plan over these next couple of weeks I'll give you more of a plan well let's pray and we'll have a look uh, at this wonderful passage Heavenly Father thank you uh, for your word thank you that you are here and present and active and that your word is the sword of the Holy Spirit Uh, it is the double-edged sword which penetrates our hearts and our minds and we ask now Lord that as we consider Uh, the way that you uh, determine and consider people. Uh, Father, we pray that you'll convict us and that you'll encourage us and that you'll strengthen us uh, for uh, the week ahead. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, seven seconds. Um, I'm not talking about riding a bull, uh, but seven, seven seconds is what it takes for us to judge another person. That's what Linda Blair, a clinical psychologist and author of Straight Talking, says. Now, uh, as you know, I love coffee. Uh, you might not know, but I do love coffee. I roast coffee uh, when I was down in Bega on my holidays. Uh, last year when I went down, I convinced my mate down there to buy a roaster. He's spent a year and now we're having roast-offs. Uh, he's a better roaster than I am, so I took all his uh, stuff. But I love uh, roasting coffee. Um, But the trouble when you start getting into something that you love is that when you have to then go and buy a coffee, you've got a problem. And you've got to determine which coffee shop you're going to go into. Now, this is my fickle nature. Uh, I will casually walk past the coffee shop. I'll peer inside. First, I'll look at the nationality of a person. Yes, I'm racist when it comes to coffee. If they're Italian, that's good news. I'm not going to talk to you about anything else. Uh, But I'll look at the nationality. I'll look at the age of a person. I'm ageist in this sense as well. Okay, I'm I'm showing you all my flaws. It's meant to be a terrible thing. And then I'll kind of watch them pour a coffee. I'll, I'll watch how they pay attention. I'll watch their little hand as they swirl. But I determine all this in kind of seven seconds because I'm walking past See, seven six seconds is all I've really got to determine whether I'm going to go in there to buy a coffee or whether I'm going to try a different coffee shop. But you see, we do it all the time. I want my mechanic to have grease all over him, to know what a spanner is, uh, to be able to know parts of the car I didn't know existed. And in fact, when I said to you, uh, what kind of pastor do you want? Well, you want one that knows his Bible. So when I mentioned the book of Hezekiah, and you go, oh, I didn't know that book. Uh, it must be, he must know what he's talking about. Well, there is no book of Hezekiah, just so you know. You see, we do it all the time. I want my financial planner to have a good suit and look like he's rich because if he can't manage his own finances, well, I'm not going to go to him for my finances. I want him to mention things like derivatives and options. I want my dentist to be dressed in white and when I walk in that clinic, there, might not, there will not be a speck of dirt anywhere. That's why they're all white. That's why you walk in and everything's white. Uh, You know, my surgeon, if I saw him fumbling around with his car keys and and dropping things and being clumsy, well, I'm not going to, I'm going to discharge myself if he he bumps onto the end of my bed without kind of seeing where he's going. And thankfully, I'll probably never have a teenage daughter, but if I did, I would want him to have uh, glasses. Uh, I would want him to be very polite, very apologetic, be very neat, Uh, and not ride a motorbike. You see, seven seconds. We judge people so often in just seven seconds. And it's often what we do. See, today we're looking at the anointing of Israel's great King David. The king who is the reference point for so much of what happened after him. Jesus refers to himself as the son of David, coming through the lineage of David. Because David was considered the king above all kings of Israel. And Jesus says, no, I am the anointed king. You see, David is the author of almost half the Psalms. He's the great leader who is described as the man after God's own heart. He is the king who led Israel to conquer so many nations. Uh, the man who... Uh, Is summarized by Huey Jones. Huey Jones calls him man of action, poet, tender lover, generous foe, stern dispenser of justice, loyal friend. He was all that men find wholesome and admirable in man, and this is by the will of God who made him and shaped him for his destiny. Yet, with our seven seconds, we're going to see that if it was left to humanity, David would never have been king. See, when we go about choosing our leaders, how are we making that decision? When we consider who can serve in certain ministries, what criteria are we reaching for to determine whether people can lead a ministry or serve in that ministry? Our Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, musicians, Bible study leaders, preachers, elders, deacons. When we choose a pastor, a wife, a husband, a friend, on what basis are we choosing them? This passage highlights the differences between how God chooses and how often humanity chooses. And the first thing that we're going to see here is two main reasons why God has chosen a new king. Have a look at verse 1 if you've got your Bibles there. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. Now back in chapter 8, Israel requests that they have a king. They go to Samuel and say, we want our own king. And uh, the Lord uh, grants them their wish. Uh, Even though Samuel in 8.17 says you will become his slaves. They just wanted to be like every other nation. They wanted their own king. And the sadness of this whole passage in the first part of Samuel is that they were rejecting God as their king. You see, God was meant to be the king of Israel. They were never meant to have a king in that sense. And Samuel was his appointed leader, the prophet, the vessel in which God would speak to his people and the people will speak to God. But no, they reject all that and they arrogantly ask for their own king. So God gives them what they want one who would lead them and fight their battles. He begins the whole kingship by appointing Saul, and in chapter 9, 2. Uh, we we read that uh, Saul was a head taller than all the other Israelites and was without equal. He was the man. He was the alpha male. He was the one that they were going to follow. They wanted him to be their king. And when Saul arrogantly takes on the the, the priestly role and makes a sacrifice when that wasn't his role in chapter 13, we see that his character is not one after God's own heart. It is an arrogant character, one that wanted to lord it over the people, one that wanted the control, wanted the power. And so God had appointed to Israel the exact king that they wanted. And in chapter 15, Saul does not obey the command of the Lord when attacking the Amalekites. And he doesn't kill King Agag right before our passage this morning, even though he was told to spare no one. And then Samuel declares this to Saul. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. Samuel Kings kills King Agag. And goes home to Ramah where he mourns for Saul and the mess that the king has brought to the people of Israel. And that leads us into this chapter. But what we see through all this is the first reason God has chosen to reject Saul and appoint a new king is because the king had rejected the word of the Lord. He wasn't listening to God's word. He wasn't willing to sit under the Lord. The second reason we see here is that uh, that God wanted to appoint a king for himself. See, Saul was appointed as the king for Israel. Now, here in chapter 1, we read, I have chosen one of his sons, Jesse's sons, to be king. Now, the NIV doesn't really bring it out. If you've got an ESV there, it translates it this way. For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. There's a real tension happening. Here and, it's, uh, and, and it will be solidified in verses 6 and 7. What's happening is the difference between an, a king that's for the people or a king that is for God. And this is the difference between Saul and David. The importance here is this contrast. In verse 1, we find the reasons why uh, this king has been chosen. One, he's rejected. Uh, Saul has been rejected because he has rejected the word of God and that he wasn't a king for God. He was a king for the people. In verses 4 to 11, it then sets the scene uh, and it changes with Samuel arriving into Bethlehem. Now, don't miss the reality that this is Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Strike a chord after Christmas. This is where the Lord Jesus... And in fact, the prophet says that Bethlehem Ephrathah, out of you, will come. And Bethlehem was really a nothing type of place. But here we see God's king being anointed in Bethlehem. And we see in verse 4 here, Samuel did what the Lord said. So he go, he, when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? This is the reality for God's people who were rejecting the Lord so many times. His prophet would come and so often his coming would mean that a proclamation of judgment upon that town. But Samuel replies in verse 5, Yes, I come in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. He's reassured, reassured them of a peaceful visit. But then he consecrates Jesse and his sons. And Now this is in accordance with Exodus 19. And this signified a cleansing because he's about to do something. He's about to anoint one of them as the king over Israel. Samuel didn't even know which one yet. And so he, he consecrates the whole family as God asks him to. So that they would be worthy of the approach and then in verse six uh, verse six uh uh, they arrive for the sacrifice but verses six and seven here are really the core of this whole passage and dale ralph davis in uh, his commentary he says that verse seven is the key to both books of samuel Uh, here we are given the great contrast which has been set up for us between the contrasting kings about how humanity chooses people and how God chooses people. Have a look at verses 6 and 7. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at, People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So he's God's own prophet. And it shows just how ingrained into humanity it is that we worship the outward appearance. We worship the celebrity. We worship the fitness model. We worship everything that on the outward appearance seems to be what we need or want or desire and so we anoint them. We anoint them with some sort of status, I guess, authority. This is what Instagram and Facebook and, and, and all this social media is built around. This is why we have influencers. We will listen to people because they have a six-pack We listen to people because they have the perfect bikini body. We listen to people because they can do 15 flips off a skateboard and land on a building and then slide down and then stand on a pole or something. I love watching those as well. But we anoint them. We say, now you have some sort of authority over my life and we listen to them and we want to hear what they have to say because I tell you, anyone who's been able to have the discipline to put a body together like that, well, I want some of that because I think that that's what I need. Even Prophet Samuel has done this. Surely, Eliab, surely he's the one that's going to be anointed But God's counsel in verse 7 says, Don't consider his outward appearance. For that is not what the Lord looks at. The Lord looks at the heart. So the contrast here is what's driving this whole passage, which is driving the whole problem of humanity in some respects, the idolatry that we have. And here we have it all laid out. But it's highlighting something even greater here. It's the difference between God and a person. We cannot see the heart. Of course we make judgments upon what we see because that's all we really know. And in fact, we spend our life trying to figure out if what we believe about someone is actually true. It takes time. It doesn't take seven seconds. It takes a deepening, deepening until you start seeing the cracks in a person. We all put on that facade. And then you start seeing some cracks and you go, hmm, maybe he doesn't deserve my anointing. But this is the highlight here. That God sees the heart so we don't sit upon our own judgments. We seek what the Lord is seeking. See, verse 7 is a clear statement on humanity's limitations and inabilities. But it still rebukes us for being so shallow in our anointing of people and giving them authority. I remember before I was a, a pastor, as most of you know, I was in finance And uh, we used to employ people. I managed 43 branches of lending, so all home loans. I get it. Um, I know exactly what's going on behind the scenes, but I won't tell you. Uh, I'll just mention the word ombudsman. Uh, And then, you know, and 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 I managed 43 branches of lending, and I had 10 or 12 staff in a call centre, which, and we were constantly recruiting, and there was. You know, but there was one time where we, we grew so big that we had to get a second in charge and so one of my executives and me started interviewing and this uh, this lady just ticked all the boxes. She was wonderful. Her referees checked out. She, she had all this experience. She was compassionate. She was wonderful. We had a couple of interviews for her and we went, wow, isn't this wonderful? She's going to be great. The moment she stepped into that position, she tried to cut me down and take my role. It was, it was just one of these things where she just could not uh, do anything but talk about me, bring me down, try to undermine me. And this is all within six months. And her probation was coming up and we called her into an office and we started asking her some questions. And it became obvious that she wasn't quite what she said that she was. See, there's a limited time frame we have to make judgments upon people. And that's why so often we make mistakes. Seven seconds or even a couple of hours isn't very long. In verse 7, God states that both he and us uh, make decisions on what we see. But he never gets it wrong. Why? Because he sees everything. He is all-knowing. In fact, I think one of the songs might have said he's omniscient, uh, he's all-knowing. Um, And it's just the reality in which we're living. And if we reject his guidance, if we reject his uh, pathway, if we uh, reject what he is leading us into, then we are bound to screw things up. It's just the way it is. Because we don't see everything. But it's not until the last two verses here in verses 12 and 13... That we introduced to this new king. These first verses are all setting this up, showing the contrasting elements of our appointing and God's appointing. But in these last two verses, we see three things by which God has chosen David by. But what's fascinating is that he's not even there. He's not even there. He hasn't been consecrated. Samuel's gone through every single one of them and he has to turn and go, "Uh, the Lord hasn't chosen these. Are these all the sons you have? Oh, they're still the youngest, Jesse says. He's tending the sheep. Samuel says, send for him. We're not going to sit down until he arrives. He wasn't even there. He hadn't been consecrated. In fact, he was the outcast. See, the thing that we have to recognise is the similarities here between David and Jesus. Despised, rejected, a man of sorrows, forgotten. Unlike David, we're told of Jesus in Isaiah that, uh, that there was nothing in his appearance that attracted us to him. People flocked to him. See, King David here is actually, and I I like the old NIV better, he was ruddy. Isn't that a great word until Kevin Rudd became Prime Minister? He was ruddy. I've always wanted to be ruddy. You know, I think that's a lumberjack. He was ruddy. He could belt down a tree with his bare hands. He would have been a young fella, but he was ruddy, handsome, with fine appearance. It doesn't mean that good-looking, ruddy people are rejected. God has just chosen one. But it means that's not what it matters here. And there are two things that really should drive it home. One, that he was an outcast. He wasn't even there. If people have forgotten. Surely it wasn't him. But secondly... He was a shepherd. Now think of King Saul and think of David. So King Saul, he was lording it over. He wasn't listening to God. He wasn't seeking to care for the sheep. He was lording it. He was ruling and he was making mistakes simply because he wasn't listening to the Lord. Jesus says to his own disciples, don't lord it over them. Don't be like the pagans. Don't lead like them. Don't lord it over them. See, people often seek a king to rule over them and lead them into battle. They want the tallest. They want the strongest. They want the ones who physically can lead them in a way where they can just follow. They put their confidence in the leader and not in the true God who should be appointing that leader and leading in, in front of that leader. And I'm very thankful for this because I certainly wouldn't be heading a church. I sit shorter than most people. But you know what's great? Is that my role isn't to lead you into battle that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. That's what Jesus is doing for all of us. My role is as a shepherd of the flock. And this is what sets David apart Him, he knew, for him. He knew what it was like to be a shepherd. You know, shepherds didn't even own the sheep. They were looking after the sheep for the owners. And they were paid according to how they presented the flock at the, when the owner came back. Were they healthy? Were they in fine appearance? Were they all there? Not whether they'd led them into battle, but protection, nurture, feeding, watering, laying them into green pastures. See, David understood this. But we also know David wasn't the perfect shepherd. He actually had one of the sheep killed when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. He called for Uriah to be sent to the front of the battle. And so when this happens, we throw up our hands and go, well, what can? Can there be a true king? Well, it's all pointing to this one great shepherd, the good shepherd, the head shepherd of our church and all true gospel-believing churches that have been planted by God, that have been nourished by the Holy Spirit, that have been led into the battle, the battle for souls, the battle for the kingdom. And his name's Jesus. This is all pointing to him. Despised, rejected. There was nothing in his appearance. But see, the true king was always meant to be God. And God the Son comes, King of kings, Lord of lords, and the order of creation that was all thrown apart with the anointing of Saul and the appointing of a king over Israel has been restored with God himself coming to lay down his life for the sheep, to lay himself on the cross, to nurture us, to feed us with his word, to shepherd us into fine pastures and that pasture being that pasture as we look to beyond this world. So it's a wonderful reality when we consider Jesus that he didn't come to seek, to, to come to, uh, to, he came to seek and to save the lost. He came to those who had been outcasts, those who had been forgotten, all of us who had been lost in our sin. And so as the world follows those with ruddy, handsome appearances, we follow the one who knows our heart, who has led us by his heart, who shepherds us, who loves us, and he's called us into a, in, into a place, into an adoption, into the sonship and daughtership, into the children of God. So be careful of seven seconds. Be careful of appointing leaders after seven seconds. Be careful of appointing leaders that you find attractive or that you uh, value their outward appearance or they have certain things in their life. We are called to spend time, and sometimes it takes time, and listen for God, God's calling. Now, I'm pretty excited about our church this year and I hope you are too. I honestly believe the last two years, as hard as it's been with COVID and lockdowns and things like that, I believe God has blessed us. He's blessed us financially. He's blessed us with maturity. I do believe he's blessing us with leaders. Rachel's been appointed as our youth pastor. There is a great harvest out there for us And I think this year we're going to see the Lord of the harvest send us out into the harvest field. I think people have been through so much they need the gospel and they're willing to hear the gospel. And each of us are called into that. But I want to encourage you that if you don't look like someone that you think should be in that ministry, but God has called you, well, it's not about what you look like. It's about your heart. That's a really important thing for us. But also for others, don't go into the world and make a judgment, well, they'll never be a Christian. I think we do this all the time. They're beyond hope. Or we look at people and go, oh, they're such good people. They must know God. They 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 must be okay. They're good people. No, we preach the gospel God penetrates the heart with it. The Holy Spirit sanctifies, renews. The Holy Spirit does the work. People come into a presence and a, and, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a salvation through the Holy Spirit's work. Our role is to preach the word and don't judge people in seven seconds. So I've had lots of bad coffees from an Italian perfect-looking barista and I've had... Some awesome coffees, when there was no other option. And I've gone, wow! I can't believe I've judged that person. As we take the gospel into the world this year, let's put it out into all people's spheres, and let's, uh, yeah, let's spend time getting to know each other's hearts, and getting time to just, yeah, build relationship rather than judge each other based on our outward appearance. Father God, thank you for this uh, word. Thank you that you are a God who doesn't consider our outward appearance, uh, that you have, regardless of what the world's standards are, you've knitted us fearfully and wonderfully uh, in our mother's wombs. And Father God, regardless of our strengths and our weaknesses, you are renewing our heart day by day. And Father God, thank you that what matters is our hearts, not the quality of our church service, not the, not the professionalism of our music, not the, not the, not the perfection of uh, the morning tea, but the heart that is serving you, using their gifts and seeking to honour you, even in their failings and even in their flaws. And Father, as we continue to do that as a church, I pray that we will seek to spread the gospel to all hearts, allowing you to judge the heart and allowing you through the Holy Spirit to convict, to convert and to bring people into the kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.